my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Alex Jones and the war on truth. The US far-right conspiracy theorist has been ordered to pay more than $49 million, that's around £40 million sterling, in damages after his repeated claims that the Sandy Hook school massacre in 2012 was a hoax. He claimed the incident was fabricated to increase support for gun control. 26 people were killed in the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, 20 of them children. Jones has now acknowledged that it did happen. But how was he allowed to flourish unchecked for so long and build a fortune based on his InfoWars brand, which, ironically, was the source of huge misinformation? We'll be hearing from Michael Edison Hayden from the globally respected Southern Poverty Law Centre based in Alabama, which has long called out Jones' lies, and Heidi Sigmund Kuda from the Radicalised Pod, who has investigated Jones' Russian links, and it makes a connection with the recent charges brought against Alex Ionov, who's alleged to have used US citizens as illegal agents of the Kremlin. Before all that, a quick reminder that Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to The Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper, edited by Hadeep Matharu. We are not bankrolled by oligarchs or non-doms. We can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and powerful to account because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers people like you. So please subscribe to the Byline Times if you can. You get full details at bylinetimes.com, our newsbreaking website. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already subscribed, thank you. Michael, Heidi, welcome. Happy to be here. here. Michael, before we discuss Alex Jones' history, just worth letting listeners know, I think, about the huge trauma that his allegations about Sandy Hook caused to family members of the children who died in that attack. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously difficult for anybody who has any kind of moral, ethical grounding to imagine doing that to people who have just come from, I mean, you know, if you're a parent, you you immediately understand that, like, the idea of losing your child in a mass shooting incident like that is has to be the most darkest, most horrible moment in your life. And to just to be harassed by Jones's mob afterwards is, is just unspeakable. I don't really have much to say about it other than if you don't understand why it's horrible, there's something wrong with you. No, but you've alluded to something there that I think is quite important, and that is that it wasn't just the attacks by Jones, the denial of this very obvious truth, but the fact that it whipped up other people who then trolled and abused these families who'd already suffered grievously. Yeah, I mean, like I think think what's critical for people to understand and contextualizing Jones and what his whole thing you know, he, he started in a sort of libertarian space, I guess you would call it. And, you know, how has he come to this figure that is much more closely associated with fascism, for lack of a better word, or at least uh, right wing authoritarianism? It's through the mob. It's where so many of these types of figures latch onto that same ideology. When you have the ability to command a mob that can enforce things for you. He makes you very favorable to right-wing populism, uh, to give it a, a nice euphemism. But if you look at Sandy Hook, the, the through line to January 6th, 
Trump and his people really exploited so many influencers and their ability to whip up a mob. I and mean, they really came together and, and did that. Jones was a big part of it. And we'll talk about the January the 6th links and the Russian links, Heidi, in a little while. But I just want you to reflect a little bit first on Jones himself and how he came to be this right. incredibly magnetic personalities, a figure I've interviewed here on talk radio in the UK. He had a following in this country, but nothing like he did in the United States and was able to build a massive brand and a great personal fortune off the back of this. Well, I'm just agreeing with everything Michael just said. It's very important to zoom out and look at the big playing field as this being part of an assault on truth. This guy was the you know, proponent of the truther movement, the damage that people like him do to our understanding of truth and the world around us is absolutely staggering. And I will only direct you to uh, Fred Gutenberg, who is a father of a Parkland shooting victim. Somebody was just put in a Fresno jail who has been emailing Fred, who lost his daughter tragically in another one of these mass shootings, the most vitriolic email. This stuff comes from somewhere. It comes from a charismatic cult-like figure using the WWF model who's out there selling manly pills for profit en masse. And I often go back to what the former president of Estonia taught me, Tomas Ilvis. It's not just one politician that was bought by the Kremlin. It's not just one journalist that was bought by the Kremlin. It's not just one influencer. And all you have to do is look at Jones's history, the thousand of RT articles that appeared on his website, the hundreds of times he was on RT, the fact that he interviewed Alexander Dugan early. This is all part of something that is very bad for America's psyche part of the cognitive hack and part of the assault on truth. And when you have a mother who lost a child looking at him in a courtroom saying, I'm real, my kid was real. You have to wonder how much money is enough for this guy to be able to do that kind of psychological terrorism en masse. Yeah, and the reference there, which some British listeners might not get, is that as well as his InfoWars brand or alongside his InfoWars brand, he not only peddled misinformation but sold various health supplements which or advertised various health supplements which seemed to be attracted to his brand, and that helped to build his own personal fortune. Mike, if you just go through some of the key areas of misinformation that as the Southern Poverty Law Center you've identified over the years, because this is not a one-off phenomenon. It's not a new phenomenon. Jones has been peddling lies and hate for many years now. Well, yeah, I mean, hate is the word that gets underreported. I think with Jones, everybody refers to him as a, a conspiracy theorist and whatever else. And the most salient thing for me is that Jones has been willing to, I mean, the, the amount of explicitly anti-Muslim rhetoric on InfoWars for so many years, not just anti-Muslim, but anti-immigrant of all kind, uh, non-white immigrants of, of all kind, you know, that stuff doesn't get talked about as much. And that disappoints me because it is such a critical part of who he is. Uh, there's not that much difference between what Alex Jones does on InfoWars and say Andrew Anglin does on the neo-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer. 
but also we reported on his infrastructure behind his his tech. And some of those people who did that are people we've identified in the white supremacist movement. This fellow um, who helped build his website co-host, I think he got a domain to host the Christchurch manifesto or document that, that, that Brendan Tarrant put online. So that's the first thing I would say about it. And the second thing is, I mean, you know, anything. I mean, like every major campaign that has come along, Jones has been in the, a part of it. And that includes things like Pizzagate and that sort of stuff to like the very beginnings of QAnon, even after he later sort of distanced himself from it. So it's not so much which disinformation campaigns we can point to Infowars. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's just all of them, basically all of the major ones cross paths there. And then also other influencers in the straight up disinformation space, including Jack Kozovic, Mike Cernovich, they've all come through Infowars at some point in time. Absolutely. I, for one, am just so grateful to the work that you do, Mike, because you can go to your site and you can find an entire list of the lies that he told and the othering of brown people is such an important point to bring up. I mean, this is a man who ran a campaign referring to the former first lady as a transgender woman talking about Michelle Obama. How is that not some form of propaganda? He also, you know, yes, he's made this fortune off of the pills that he sells, but we have to also look at who is the Bitcoin fairy that gave him $8 million? Who are the anonymous people that are financing this guy? And why are they so invested in somebody who is doing such, again, such a cognitive hack of listeners' brains? There is a no other way for me to describe that. Mm. Amongst the conspiracy theories that he peddled, and one which has gained some traction here in the United Kingdom, Mike, was the idea of the deep state. And we've heard conservative politicians in the UK, very senior figures referring to the deep state in the UK, or the blob, as it is sometimes called. And the idea that within the state there are elements who would seek to frustrate democratically elected governments because they have their own agenda perceived by people on the right as a far left agenda. Yeah, I mean, you know, as with so many of these talking points that come from the hard right, there's some like wisp of truth in there somewhere that they latch on to because, I mean, it, not everything to do with our intelligence agency in the United States is exactly uh, fantastic, right? It's just a question of how they weaponize these things that are that are true and how do they use it to instill fear in their fans, right? And that's basically what Jones is so good at and how he was able to make the deep state thing such a big deal. Another one that's similar to that is kind of ongoing campaign about George Soros, uh, which of course has anti-Semitic undertones. Jones is very good at kind of hiding those or, um, you know, caging it in a particular way. But it's all this stuff that white supremacists really believe, which is just that there's this cabal of elites or, you know, sometimes Jewish people, if they be more explicit, who are collaborating to destroy white people in, in Western countries, things like that. Jones is very good at hitting those themes without being completely explicit about it and has probably done more to further those types of conspiracies or so those conspiracies than any figure, arguably any figure outside of Trump. 
When I interviewed Alex Jones, the last time I interviewed him, I interviewed him more than once, actually, on UK radio. He was very <laughs> cagey. He wouldn't name who or what precisely was behind the attempts to frustrate what he regarded as democracy. But, of course, if you look at so many of the themes that he addressed, and we've touched on them already, there was a not very sophisticated, what we would call dog whistle racism at work here. People who were keen to hear messages about minority groups in society took their cue from Alex Jones. They knew the people that he was referring to, even if he didn't do it directly. I think that's that's accurate. I mean, InfoWars really found their footing politically in the attacks against Obama, which were, of course, you could have legitimate complaints about Obama along with every other politician. But these were like heavily racialized attacks. And that, to me, is where InfoWars really went from being a kind of generic, paranoid, conspiracy, right-wing-leading entity to being something that is a lot more explicitly partisan. I would love to draw people's attention to the Justice Department indictment that came down on Friday, which we documented in Byline Times, which showed a Russian national using political groups in America to spread Russian propaganda. If you do a side-by-side -side comparison to the propaganda points that this particular person was paying Americans to do, you will find Alex Jones themes right in there. And it is really, for me, it was both discouraging and encouraging to see a 25-page indictment, which laid out all the electronic messaging between the operations that were being paid for by this Russian national working for the FSB and looking at the narratives that Alex Jones puts out. And I think the January 6th committee is very keen on the electronic transmissions that occurred from Alex Jones's phone, which clearly we know the lawyer for the parents of the Sandy Hook victims inadvertently has access to. And now we know that the January 6th committee will have access to that as well. And that should be very interesting. And I want to say one thing for your UK audience, Adrian. When I was reading through this indictment and I discovered that the operation to have California secede from the union was a Russian operation run by a guy who lived back and forth from Russia, who do we find who also is raising money for California? Actually, in this case, to split in two, the bad boys of Brexit, Aaron Banks and Nigel Farage. And I bring that up because the same guys are populating this ecosystem all the time. And I just think it's very important, again, that we don't look at these incidences in an isolated way, that we actually take that 10,000 foot view looking down and say, okay, who are these players? What is their purpose? And clearly the purpose that I can see is to remove the center from people in both our countries so they're extreme left and extreme right. And the middle place is where we come together to do the work that we just saw happen in Kansas, where people came together to support women's health rights. And so we have to focus on what is truth and finding our common ground. Yeah, it should make it clear that the charge that you refer to, the indictment that was raised, was against a Russian national called Alex Ianov. Alex Ianov denies any wrongdoing. And he says that the United States has gone crazy 
He says that he has done nothing wrong. It's likely that he will be tried in absentia because he's now back in Russia. But the allegation is, as you say, that he worked under the direction of the FSB, the Russian Federal Security Service, and that he controlled three political groups in Florida, in Georgia, in California, and that he helped to promote this campaign for the secession of California from the United States, which ultimately failed, but which did gain some political traction. So again, with so many of these stories, it is, as you say, really important to join the dots. We wait and see what the court will ultimately decide on Alex Ianov's guilt or innocence. But you've also been concerned, I know, Heidi, about possible funding links between Alex Jones and Russia directly. I'm very concerned about that because whenever you have somebody who has a cult who is doing what can only be described as propaganda, which does not make sense if you look at it just from a American point of view, but if you are actually doing the match and looking about looking what's been coming in from, you know, the mafia state of Russia, I don't see how we can't take a look and see just just that one example of the quote unquote Bitcoin fairy. All of a sudden, $8 million lands in Alex Jones's lap. We need to know where that came from. And I'm sorry, he's making $700,000 a day on his various manly pills, which have turned out to be not so terribly effective. I think it would be wrongheaded to not take a closer look. He is at the center of so much of this American vitriol. And as Michael said, the racial divisions and the othering of brown people, which is a great vulnerability in our country and other countries. So if he's on RT hundreds of times, if he's spreading RT, Russian propaganda, a thousand times, and he is interviewing people like Alexander Dugan, Putin's brain, how could we not look and see what's behind the veil? I don't see how we couldn't. Yeah. And just to clarify again for UK listeners, then you've referred to this a couple of times, then the uh, the Bitcoin fairy. What's the background to that story? It's a headline that literally just came across my desk, which shows that Alex Jones is pleading for cash, pleading for cash because, you know, the deep state is trying to uh, crush his show. And then the headline comes that an anonymous donor just gave him eight million dollars in Bitcoin, first two million and then another right. six million. We broke that story, actually. Um Great. So we reported in in March that basically someone had given Jones $1 million in Bitcoin. And then after we reported the story and it got re-reported elsewhere and then made a little bit of a splash online, the same donor gave him another million just to sort of be like, you know, hey, F you, Um, I'm just going to keep giving him money. And then, you know, we continue to monitor the wallet. Jones shifted the money around between wallets and took the Bitcoin, like the, the string off of his website after that. But then the same person pumped another uh, six, roughly $6 million in Bitcoin into it. So about $8 million in roughly a month that came from one single donor. We don't know who it is yet. So, so we, we've, do, we've done a few, few stories about Jones. One, we reported on leaked uh, video uh, from a documentary he was filming in which he badmouthed Trump significantly. This was in 20, January 2019, he did it. And he basically said, you know, about a string of expletives and how much he hates Donald Trump and wishes never met him. 
the documentarian said that Jones had been drinking. And I think that that's interesting because two years later, he goes on to help lead an insurrection in Trump's name, kind of an amusing turn of events in two years. But it's, I think it, what it shows is how critical Trump is to his brand and how potentially insincere Jones really is. Another story that we did that is worth noting is that we tracked traffic to the InfoWars store, which was really, really spiked in 2017 and, and, and in 2018, right before his deplatforming, de and then went down. And then we saw it stay down until when Stop the Steal starts coming up. So right around after Trump loses the election. And then we see as he pushes the Stop the Steal campaign, traffic to his InfoWars store actually returns to roughly 2017 levels. And that shows you the degree to which his personal finance is such an incentive for him for, for all these campaigns. And it's not necessarily ideological for Jones. The mob that he controls dictates his ideology to some degree. And his political alignments have to do with those who would tolerate him and some of the things he said. So we don't know who gave him the Bitcoin other than, you know, I can say that we think it's somebody domestic and Jones's survival from here, I think, is contingent on, you know, if he's able to shift money around through cryptocurrency, which he only started to embrace after it became apparent that he would face serious penalties in this lawsuit. If he's able to shift money around and if he's so important to this hard right authoritarian movement in the country with an election coming up, that people are willing to jump in and bail him out. How important was he in building the January the 6th movement or the the group of people that contributed to that insurrection? Well, like I said, I mean, you know, in, during during the time of the Sandy Hook time, Jones really found his footing as a kind of a fascist goon, right? People don't necessarily wake up and say like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a fascist. Like, I try not to use that word too much, but I'm just for lack of a better word. It's just helpful, you know, I mean, whether it's exactly on the nose or not, but in a colloquial sense at the bar, you know, that's what we're talking about. And you kind of, you know, find your way into it in weird ways. And in his case, it's like, I think he learned that his following can act like a mob that he's able to move them, stir them in a particular way. And uh, Trump in 2016 sought uh, Roger Stone, of course, who is, um, you know, a collaborator of Jones. They wanted to use the power of that mob and they used it all the way up until the violence on January 6th. So if Trump runs again in 2024, you know, it may be possible that the moneyed interests that support this movement in the country this anti-democratic movement in the country, you know, are willing to bail Jones out and and kind of have see him to help, so to speak. I just love, I'm reading one of your articles, Mike, and mm. it was the one where you first dropped the news about the anonymous Bitcoin donor. Mm -hmm. and, and I absolutely just appreciate so much the work you do, because right in there in the last paragraph, he's talking about the murder of the children in Texas, that particular school shooting. Mm. And he says, I'm not saying it's staged, but it was very opportunistic because they're coming for our guns. So it's that kind of simple propaganda, the seed that gets planted. 
He's calling the murder of children very opportunistic. I think fascist goon is a perfect phrasing for him. I also think it's very interesting that he names his company something like Free Speech Inc. It's along those lines. And it's like, to me, we have to look at what the Germans did. This is not free speech. This is hate speech. This is fascism. And we have to defeat it. Heidi, in the United States, the First Amendment of the Constitution, which protects free speech, is taken, certainly from a UK perspective, very literally, to a degree I think that we would find surprising in this country, even though I'm sure there are people in the UK who would support the level of free speech, as it were, that you have in the United States. But it's a, it's a form of free speech that allows people to spread lies, to spread misinformation as journalists. It was, it was never meant to be weaponized, to radicalize people en masse. It was never meant to be something that was used en masse to kill the nature of truth. If we don't have an ability collectively to see the narrative of truth, then we are absolutely doomed in this country. And I would recommend, and I'm sure Mike would agree, that it has to start by evaluating what we do about something like Telegram. You know, Telegram is a cesspool of radicalization in America. And if we continue to allow it, it's going to only infect our country worse than it already has. These amendments that these free speech absolutists and these gun nutters hide behind were never meant for the times in which we live. And Germany had the courage to evaluate post Hitler's reign, what is hate speech? They had the wherewithal to have a police force dedicated to rooting out fascists within their force. And so if we don't take a look at these lessons sooner rather than later, we will continue to spiral in this very traumatic, negative way where we don't recognize family members anymore. It's happening in a massive way. Mm. I just just to step in there, one one point is like I, we would much rather have people on Telegram than on the most highly trafficked websites in the world. The difference is 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 substantial in terms of how much reach they're getting. You know, I, I'm a proponent of the First Amendment. I like it. I'm a big fan. Uh, and and we have a lot of people trying to silence us. Right? We have a lot of people trying to silence us either through frivolous lawsuits or threats of violence and other things. So we want people, we want to be able to speak and we want to let other people be able to speak. They, the issue is one of, does anything that, you know, Jones do rise to the level of incitement? That's always uh, the first concern. And then the second thing is there's a difference between freedom of speech and freedom of reach in the sense of when you have figures who have access to your five most trafficked websites in the world, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, that's a huge difference for when they're kind of pushed onto Telegram. You know, obviously there's some things on Telegram that are clearly incitement. Obviously, um, but- when you're talking about criminal, I just feel like our offline laws need to start looking uh, more similar to online laws. Yeah, I mean, the, the basically what's happening on, on Gab, and there have been people who've been, you know, multiple Gab posters who've been arrested for their behavior uh, on Gab and off of it. I mean, that, that's a different story. But I mean, the, the, the point is that all those people who are on Gab, and there are not many of them, really, because it's filled with bots, they're going to be somewhere. And we want 
we want them to be there. We'd rather they be there than they be on YouTube and Twitter and these sites with huge amounts of traffic. And that's kind of the difference is that your basic networks, your, your ABC, CBS, those type of things in America, you know, we don't show certain things on those channels. And, and it was common sense. We all grew up in that way, right? We understand that it's not only based on ratings, right? There, there is just common sense that reach can be a, a risky scenario. So again, we want people to be heard, but not these things that involve explicitly rigging platforms in order to create an outcome, a dangerous outcome. And that's the type of thing we saw with Pizzagate, for example. All those people are still on Twitter, or most of them are. Cernovich, Cassandra Fairbanks, Pazobic, all those people pushed Pizzagate on Twitter. And, you know, and so did Jones, uh, quite frankly. And it, and, it, and it is a good thing that Jones is relegated to his own site and is no longer allowed on YouTube and Twitter. Here we've got uh, an individual who has been found in a court to have defamed the families of children who were murdered by making up a most horrendous lie about them and continuing to tell that lie for many years afterwards. In any fair and just world, the individual responsible for that would be absolutely finished, would never again have any credibility with any kind of audience. I fear the answer you're going to give me now, but is Alex Jones finished? We've seen like from Glenn Greenwald and some other hipsters who are kind of associated with Peter Thiel's network, you know, trying to resuscitate his image and, and present him as some sort of brave truth teller and all kinds of other bullshit, for lack of a better word. This is only going to work to a certain extent. I think people who have a basic sense of decency understand that Jones behaves like a monster, that he acts in self-interest. And that he is, I think, will go down in history as a person who did bad things and did bad things to the world around him and his community. The caveat there is, is the fact that there will be moneyed interests who see like, damn, you know, we could really use that Alex Jones megaphone around who want to keep him going. And I would not be surprised to see him get uh, big donations from anonymous people through cryptocurrency in the, you know, before the 2024 election. And the desire to harness that particular mob, which goes with precision after proponents of democracy and liberal values. So my answer is no, they're not done. This is how they get their street, street cred. Until these vitriolic propagandists are deplatformed and until they are incarcerated, this story will not end. I will say it, you know, sing it from the rooftops. You, you don't just play nice with the fascist creep, you defeat it. And I'm gonna quote Jason Stanley, a wonderful professor who said, the normalization warriors are central to the fascist creep. We have a lot of people normalizing what's going on and that is why we are those frogs in the pan as the heat ratches up and it becomes normal to have some guy making hundreds of millions of dollars on the tragic murders of gun victims in America. Heidi, really thank you for your time. Heidi Sigmund Kuda from the Radicalised Pod, and thank you also, Michael, for your time. Michael Edison Hayden from the Southern Poverty Law Centre. My name's Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast, funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. Check out how to subscribe 
at bylinetimes.com, our newsbreaking website. That's at bylinetimes.com. I hope you've enjoyed this. It's been a really fascinating listen for me right at the centre of it. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. We'll see you again very soon. But thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye now.